Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at the district.church. Luke 1, 67 through 79. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to his father Abraham to grant us that that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. Luke 1.37 And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Thank you. Good job. They've got more memorization done than some of the adults in this room. Just saying. I don't need that. Well, good morning, everyone. Not to drop that uh, Jesus juke on you there for a quick moment. But, well, good morning. I'm Dwayne. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the district, and uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, I haven't preached in over a month, and so, what am I? Oh, yeah, dismiss the kids. See, I, I'm, I'm, I'm off my game. Uh, yeah, three to fives and six to sevens can uh, head over to their class. They're, they've got it. They're heading out. Um, but it's good to be with you guys. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 1, um, and uh, we're going to be walking through our Advent season. And so Advent, again, is just 
a fancy term in the liturgical history of the church that means to wait um, and have a season of waiting. And that's what we're celebrating right now as we come to the Advent season, uh, which also goes hand in hand with the Christmas season. And it is a season of waiting. And it's waiting for the arrival of Jesus and to celebrate his birth. Uh, not to be cliche, but the true reason for the season. And that's what we celebrate. And so what we've been doing with Advent is we're going to be looking at uh, the songs of Luke. And so the songs of Luke that have to do with leading up to the birth of Jesus. Particularly as we look at the song of Mary that Josh pre preached on last week. Today will be the song of Zechariah. Next week will be the song of an angel. And then the final week will be a song of Simeon as we lead up to uh, our Christmas service on December 25th, Sunday morning for that. We, we are not canceling church uh, for that. That would be odd to cancel uh, church on the celebration of Jesus' birth, uh, since that's what the actual purpose of Christmas is all about. And so uh, we will be here worshiping him uh, and, and just so excited that God sent him to be Emmanuel, God with us, uh, here with us. So I hope that you're able to work your plans out to join us on that Sunday morning, December 25th, uh, before you head on to any of your Christmas festivities and stuff with your families as well. Um, so that's what we've got coming up over the next few weeks, uh, and you're going to be there in Luke 1 today. And as you are kind of looking at that, and as we dive into this song of Zechariah, I wanted to um, kind of set it up by asking a question. And one of that question is, is how many of you are good at doubting? How many of you are just good at doubting? I mean, just maybe in, in kind of more of our modern view of it, just pessimism, all right, just pessimism, and so maybe doubting or pessimism looks more like a glass half empty, a bank account that's not going to stretch to the end of the month, a relationship that just doesn't seem to ever be healthy, a career opportunity that's just not going to ever present itself, a pregnancy that just isn't coming to fruition, an anxiety that isn't lifting, a stress that's just not going away, uh, children that just never listen, friends that aren't very friendly, or maybe a God who never says yes to your specific request. And so there's, <clears throat> I'm still getting over kind of a head thing here, but um, as we kind of walk through this and as we think about it, I feel like there's a, there's a natural tendency among many of us to kind of view life in that regard, all right? It's kind of in a doubting way, maybe in a, even a pessimistic way. I believe many of us experience levels of doubt on a daily basis, even even the best optimistic people in the room. And I, I usually put myself in that, in that category as the one who does have the glass half empty, who's always looking for uh, the optimistic things to happen in the situations that we experience. But it's natural for us because it's true to our creative nature. You and I were created as finite beings, which means we were created with limits, which means there's a level in our creation where we don't know how things are going to work out. We don't know how things are going to be provided for. We, don't, we can't see beyond our own limits. We can't see beyond our own uh, boundaries. And that, for some of us, gives us an opportunity to either land in the category of trusting the Lord beyond our limits, beyond our boundaries, beyond our unknown, or we dive into the area of doubting and disbelief and distrust and, and really the kind of side of pessimism, that things just aren't going to work out for us. And what we see is this kind of collision of 
doubts and disbelief, and yet the Lord's faithfulness as we see the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth today. And what I really want us to do, what I hope for us, is that we're able to get to this place where we see a beautiful truth in Scripture today. That we see the beautiful truth of God creating this collision between our doubts and our disbelief and his faithfulness and him showing up and him doing and answering in a way that is faithful and according to his will and that is good. That is good for us And it's one of the reasons why, again, knowing that we have limits and knowing that we're finite and knowing that we uh, cannot provide for ourselves in every way that we need provided for, it's one of the reasons why Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. However, there's been a shift. There's been a shift in Western Christianity uh, where we are slowly distrusting or disbelieving that God will answer any of the prayers that we offer. And the one reason why we know that there's a shift is because a survey from the Barna Group on the state of the church in America revealed that 34, 34%, all right, that, so that's one in every three Christians, all right, so this was a survey done to Christians, people who regularly attend church, according to the survey. They don't see how prayer has any connection to God's will. As one in three Christians don't believe that prayer has any connection to God's will. And therefore, only about 45% of Christians pray daily. And of those 45%, only 2% are satisfied with their prayer lives. Like, like that's astounding to me. But what that reveals, what that's showing is, is that there's doubt. That God will answer prayer. That God will work in prayer. And that God will work for the good of our lives. That there's doubt in that. And so therefore, we don't go to the source. We don't go to the Creator. But there is hope for those who doubt. There's good news. And that's the beautiful truths that we're seeing in these songs of Advent. Again, the seasons of Advent and Christmas remind us that Jesus is God's gift to us as our greatest treasure and who in him supplies what we need for life, for ministry, for relationships. And he asks us to come to him and to make requests and to pray and to communicate and to seek him for those things. What we saw last week, because it does kind of contrast a little bit with today, what we saw last week was Mary did not have to wait very long for anything. Uh, in fact, actually, they, they weren't even trying for a child. They were not married yet, and she was still a virgin. They weren't waiting on a child. They weren't praying for a child. Uh, they were planning their lives together. They had their entire lives ahead of them. So different in the situation. This week, we're looking at Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they're old in age or advanced in years, where Mary had her entire life ahead of her. Zechariah and Elizabeth have their entire lives behind them at this point. And yet they're both given a child. It was technically impossible for Mary because she was a virgin, so it would only be beyond her ability and miracle only for her to conceive. But it was also technically impossible for Elizabeth because she was barren, unable to produce children, and advanced in years. It would be beyond her ability and also take a miracle for Elizabeth to conceive. And that's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. With Zechariah and Elizabeth, you see this collision of prayer and doubting, of righteousness and barrenness, of blamelessness and disbelief, of blessing and discipline. You see them getting it right on one hand and then also totally fumbling it on the other. 
And that's what I believe is what we need to hear this morning is that God meets us in the collision of our doubt and his faithfulness to complete the work that he has begun in us. And so I want to quickly look at what happened before we get to the song of Zechariah. What we see in Luke 1, verses 6 and 7, we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we learn that they were considered righteous and blameless. It says they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So that's our context for this couple, okay? They've, they've been living a great life that has been faithful to the Lord that would be considered of God to be righteous. At the same time, they're living blamelessly when it comes to doing church, when it comes to serving the church, walking in the church, walking in community, uh, serving those outside. It, whatever it came to the law, when it comes to them living it out for the Lord, they're considered blameless in this. And yet also, they had no children, so she was barren and she was very advanced in years. They were old, okay? Now, does this mean that they were sinless? I want you to keep that question in mind. But again, walking through this idea of no child, you need to get to the reality that it is beyond their means. It's beyond their ability to have a child. I know most of the 20-somethings think that old or advanced in years is 30s, um, or maybe 40s, but no, they were way older than that, likely to be in their 70s to 90s if we were to compare them to um, Abraham and Sarah when they were in their 75 to 90 range and were considered barren and advanced in age. So it's, too, or it's beyond the point of possibility for them. Then it goes on into this prayer that is answered in Luke 1, 8 through 17. Now, while he was serving, this is referring to Zechariah, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. I want you to just underline that. If you underline or highlight or anything, I want you to underline your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. But he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. All right, like that's amazing truth that is provided to Zechariah. All right, he's been praying for a child for his entire life, we can say now probably likely decades that he's been praying for a child. And the Lord shows up and says, answered, granted, your prayer is here. Your prayer is heard and the Lord is giving you a child. Not only just giving you a child, but we're going to give you more than just a child. This child is going to have some incredible meaning and purpose and duty for his life. We see the message of the angel of the Lord talking with Zechariah and letting him know that he's going to be a father and that his son is going to help get everybody ready to meet Jesus when he shows up. 
I just don't want you to miss that one part in the middle that I asked you to underline. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Again, it was custom in this day and age to have children very early. Usually late teens, early 20s is when they would, would start the process of having a family. And so if this couple is advanced in years, old in age, um, barren, likely they've been trying for 60 to 70 years at this point. 60 to 70 years. And have likely also, because they're righteous and blameless, know where children come from. Have been praying to God, who is creator, to bless them with a child. And here finally, after decades, the angel shows up. And answers them. But he answers them when it's gone beyond their means. Zechariah begins to feel this sort of doubt and disbelief that this will actually happen. This is what he says in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. I can just picture Zechariah here saying, you serious? Like, that train is long gone. I'm an old man. My wife's old and barren. What I hear in that statement is, we've tried everything. We've tried everything. We exhausted all possibilities. We did everything we were supposed to do. Children are for those who are young and those who are able. Well, God is getting at something here in our view of ourselves. God oftentimes shows up when we've breached past the point of possibility. It's just true. That's how God oftentimes works. The scariest thing that is currently happening in Western Christianity, I believe, is the self-centered, self-sustaining church rather than the gospel-centered church. What I mean by that is that we love to hear sermons that give us hope that we can accomplish something miraculous. That we can do something great and then attempt to make it fit biblically. For example, I call them TED Talk sermons where a pastor will be like, in the word can't is can. In the word don't is do. In the word won't is won. In the word impossible is possible. And because Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or Mark 9.23 that says all things are possible with God. Therefore you can and therefore you should do. And once you've done, you've won. Therefore look at impossible and say it with me. I'm possible. Right? I mean, how many times do we hear sermons like that? Now, some of you are like, that's fire. Like i got to start tweeting that. <laughs> But nothing will create more heartache and destruction to your life than a message like that. Nothing. Zechariah and Elizabeth were considered righteous and blameless. They did what they were supposed to do. Blameless. They went to church. Zechariah is one of the priests. They gave to the church. They worked for it tirelessly. They were faithful in their duty to the Lord. But listen, if your view of Christianity is all about you executing the place flawlessly and then expecting a reward in return, you're going to be so crushed when you realize that God doesn't operate that way. That breeds doubt 
and disbelief, maybe even resentment toward God when he doesn't answer you. I did this for you and you won't do this for me. How dare you? We have to remember that God is not a genie in a bottle. God is not Santa Claus who we hop up on his lap and tell him about all the gifts we want for being nice and not naughty. That's not Christianity, at least biblical Christianity. How do we know this is what was going on with Zechariah? Well, look at it again in verse 19. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, this is where he disciplines him. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You see, Zechariah has lived his life righteously and blamelessly and throughout his life has prayed to God for some specific things that God did not answer yet. Yet. God, in his infinite wisdom, had Zechariah and Elizabeth wait. Just wait. And I know that is, that is just a word we wish could just be eliminated, right? Like, like we don't like waiting. Nobody likes to wait. My, my sons, right now, every day, how many days until Christmas? 23. That's too long. Zechariah, at this point, is still going through the motions of his duty as priest, but himself has fallen into a season of doubting and disbelief to the point that when God actually answers his decades-old prayer, Zechariah is not excited about it, but questions it because he is no longer expecting God to answer his prayer. I mean, if, we, if any of us moved into that posture in that position, and we've been praying for something for so long, which for the majority of us in this room is not long. It's not been that long. But we're praying for something for so long, and because God hasn't answered it in the time that we feel like it should be answered, we've forgotten the prayer and we moved on believing that he just isn't good to us. He just isn't good to us. Zechariah doubts the Lord will do this for him, doubts that God will actually answer the decades-old prayer of a child, disbelieves that any of this is true because Gabriel even has to say, this will be fulfilled in its time. He has to give him assurance. In other words, this will come true, Zechariah. We're not, we're not playing games with you. We see disbelief and doubting, and therefore Gabriel the angel packs up his stuff and teleports over to another family to let them know that God is going to bless them with a child named John the Baptist. Is that what happens? No. He stays with doubting and disbelieving Zechariah. I don't want you to miss this right here. This is the collision. God, despite the doubting and disbelief, despite the old age and barrenness, despite the inability and hesitation, he gives grace to Zechariah and Elizabeth. You see, God works in the impossibility of this couple to answer their prayer in his timing and according to his will. Listen, what you pray matters, but that you pray matters even more. 
it matters even more. What, what we pray matters because we, we want you to pray in spirit and in truth. We want you to pray true things. We want you to pray things that God will answer. So, for example, if you pray like someone cuts you off, oh, Lord, would you just like knock them out right now and kill them? Like he's probably not going to answer that prayer in that moment. We want you to pray right things. But we also know that the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is just to shot block all your bad prayers and convert them into prayers that align and are according to the Spirit of God and according to the will of God. And so that you pray matters that much more. It matters that much more because prayer is not beseeching upon the Lord and moving him in order to fit what you think is best for you, but rather what prayer is doing it is actually aligning you with what God is answering according to his will and according to his goodness and according to his holy righteousness. It's pulling you into that. And so what happens is that the more often that we pray and begin to see how God answers according to his will and his goodness, it actually then begins to change how we pray because we begin to see more on how he answers. And so no longer are we praying dumb prayers. And it's okay to say that. Oh, there's never a dumb question. No, there are dumb questions. There are also dumb prayers. We want prayers that reflect more of the heartbeat of God and the righteousness of Christ. And so, yes, we might start off with silly prayers and prayers that aren't working out for us, but it eventually molds us to become more like Jesus so that when we pray, it's aligning with the will of God and we're seeing more prayers answered in that way. It matures us to become more like Jesus. Praying matters, but that you pray matters more. Here's what I mean by, well, God answered the prayer in a gospel-centered way, not a self-centered way. He did answer their prayer for a child, but he did not answer their prayer in just, let me give you what you asked for. He answered it in a good news way. He answered it in a gospel-centered way. Here's what I mean by that. Gospel means good news. We know that. Christ-centered. Jesus focused. God wove his will of sending his son Jesus to the world through the lives of Mary and Joseph and also included the good news to be a part of Zechariah and Elizabeth's world as he answered their prayers for a child. And God provides them a child through the form of John the Baptist, whom according to God's will would prepare the way for Jesus. In a way, God gave Zechariah and Elizabeth more than what they asked for. He gave them more than what they asked for. He gave them something that was worth waiting for. And what we know is that they prayed for a child, but God gave them more than that. The gift of John the Baptist. Let's look at this in verse 57. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And so then they made signs to his father, old Zechariah, still under disciplinary action at this point, unable to speak. He's inquiring what we or what they should call the child. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. All right, well, what she said, his name is John. 
And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Side note here, God-ordained biblical discipline leads us to worship. It leads us to worship. It leads to maturing us to become more like Jesus. When his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, the first thing wasn't cursing God for making him go through decades of waiting for a child. Why couldn't you have given me this child 50 years ago when I had energy? When I could still throw a ball with him? Why do I have to be old at this point? He didn't curse God for the nine months of, wait, or of not being able to speak. God used the discipline from Gabriel to mature Zechariah, to sanctify him, to work out all the things for his good. And listen, we love that verse, Romans 8, 38. God works out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We love that verse. But working out all the things for your good is not simply improving your circumstances. That's not the good that God is giving you. The good is that you are becoming more like the image of Jesus. That's the good. He's working out all your circumstances so that you become more like his son, Jesus. And Zechariah has gone from doubting and disbelief to now confident and charismatic. He's worshipful in the moment. And it goes on to say that fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth have shared this good news of their answered prayer with others. They're inviting them in. And I want you to just chalk this up as another evidence that Christianity was always intended by God to be lived out in community. All right? It is not to be lived out in isolation. You are not to have prayers answered and then just kind of sit back and say, thank you, Lord, that was great. You were to share that good news and that celebration with those who are around you. And they are all in now. Anticipation. What has God given us? What will this child be? Not, not, not talking about Jesus yet. Right now, they're just excited about John the Baptist. Who is this child and what will he be? And we come to Zechariah's song. You're like, that's the longest introduction that I've ever heard. But we're closing with Zechariah's song. Classic phrase that means nothing. Verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, that we might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, 
whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I'm going to sum up John the Baptist's role. He had one job. One job. How many of you have ever been to a Broadway play? Broadway play, all right. Most of us in this room. At least once in every play, there is this climactic moment. There's this power ballad, this crescendo. And what they usually do in that moment is they, they just darken the entire room. And then you see this light shine out. It's almost like a lightsaber just coming from the back rafters. And it's usually placed right at center stage, and there's one character that comes out, and they just offer the performance of a lifetime. And it's John the Baptist. Except he isn't the one that's on stage. He's the stage crew behind the light. And he's got the light shown right on Jesus. Right on Jesus. He's the one in the rafters giving light in the midst of darkness to guide our eyes to the way of peace. To Jesus who is center stage coming as a baby in a manger. You see, Zechariah's song here about his son that is really about another son gives us five reasons to bless God this morning. To bless God as he's blessing God. Number one, we have been visited and redeemed by God. We see that in verse 68. Number two, we have been saved from our enemies, which includes ourselves. All right, no one causes you to sin more than you cause yourself to sin. You're your greatest enemy. Verse 71, we are granted holiness and righteousness from God. Verses 73 through 75. Number four, we are given knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. Verse 77. And number five, we are given light and peace in the darkness and shadow of death in verse 79. This is the entire message that John the Baptist gets to come and proclaim. He's not showing up saying, hey, everyone, look at me. I've got a major role here. Like, I got to be picked first on the kickball team. Like, that's, that's not what John the Baptist is concerned about. He goes on in John 3.30 to eventually say that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. He's like, how, how far back in the rafters can I get? Because usually when you see that light shining and you look back to see where it's coming from, you can't see who's operating it. That's where he wants to be. Because he wants everyone to not miss these truths of this baby that is about to arrive six months after he does, or three months after he does, this baby that's coming down in order to be birthed into this world and to be God Emmanuel, God with us, who visits with us to redeem us, who saves us from our enemies, including ourselves, who grants us holiness and righteousness to be able to serve him all the days of our lives, who gives us the knowledge of salvation. Hey, guys, you are sinners and you need to repent and turn from it. You've got to see that you need salvation. 
It's not just this, um, okay, we're in, a, we're in a burning building and we need someone to come in and rescue us and pull us out. No, it is a forgiveness of sins. You are the burning building. You can't just pull yourself out of your own burning building. That, water, that fire needs to be quenched with the waters of baptism. That, water needs to be, or that fire needs to be put out by Christ Himself. And then that whole entire building needs to be renovated in order for you to go from being a sinner to a saint. Like this is what He is doing for us. We're given light and peace in the darkness and shadow of death. We're given hope when there's doubt and disbelief. Jesus is providing all of that for us. And John the Baptist has given this great role to come and proclaim this good news. To come and proclaim this good news. And Zechariah here is a proud father. I mean, I, I can't think of someone who runs around town being more excited about what his son gets to do. We don't know how long Zechariah lived after this, but what we know is that he lived the rest of his life blessing God rather than doubting and disbelieving because he was reminded of the faithfulness of the Lord, even through disciplinary action. He was reminded of the faithfulness of the Lord and that he also was able to receive the same truth that John is proclaiming, that there's grace for those who fumble. I mean, when, when an angel of the Lord shows up, usually it's two reasons. One, you're about to die. Or two, you're about to receive good news. Those are really the only options. You trace it all throughout the Bible. That's why whenever an angel shows up, they're fearful. Which way is this going to go? It also is just a reminder for them that, uh, oh yeah, even though I'm considered righteous and blameless, I'm still not Jesus. I'm not God. I'm not perfect. That was grace, righteousness, and blamelessness. Remember I said, keep that question in mind. Were they sinless? No. Zechariah and Elizabeth were not sinless. Where Gabriel reminds them, uh, you're disbelieving. You're disbelieving. Even though you're still performing your duties and you're still going through all the motions, you're still doing all the right things, you're still a sinner. And you're in need of a Savior because you deserve death. And so when that angel shows up, he knows, I deserve death. And he's afraid of that. But the angel is able to proclaim to him, good news, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm here to give you grace through the Son, Jesus Christ, who has taken your death so that you might have life. He's taken your curse so that you can now bless. He's become what's beyond our possibility. That's why I love 1 Corinthians. I'm going to pull this into communion here and invite us to this. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58 says this, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One thing I want you to see here as we draw in, and I want you to begin visualizing what's going on at the cross. Jesus Christ is the imperishable. Right? I mean, he's, he's been alive and, and existent for eternity past. Imperishable. Immortal. And here, this verse is saying those who are perishable put on the imperishable. Those who are impossible put on the possible. Well, how does that happen? If the imperishable does not put on the perishable and the immortal put on the mortal. This is the great exchange that we are celebrating for over 2,000 years now. That Jesus Christ, who is imperishable, who is immortal, who is God, came in the form of a man and put on flesh so that he could go and die that we might have light and peace in the darkness and shadow of death. Because that's what we're walking in. All we are walking in, every person who lives on this planet is walking in darkness and the shadow of death. That's why Colossians 1 says that we were transformed uh, from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son. We're just wandering around building our little kingdoms in the domain of darkness. That's where we're at. And John gets to come and proclaim that there's light and peace in the domain of darkness in the shadow of the death. And it is Jesus Christ's light coming into darkness to absorb the death and the darkness itself so that we might be brought into the light, perishable becoming imperishable, mortal becoming immortal, and able to live with God for the rest of eternity. The great exchange. Zechariah now has reason to no longer doubt and have disbelief, but to bless and worship. Bless and worship. And the same thing is true for us. Thanks, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What victory? It's victory over our sin. It's victory over our death. It's victory over ourselves. Again, you're, you're not in any other battle. Again, we can pull out those flesh and blood, spiritual life. What you are in the greatest battle over is your sinful soul, yourself. And yet, we can't do anything about it. We can't do anything about it. You can't. You won't. But he did. And at the cross, he said, it's finished. That work is finished. So I'm going to have you stand. As we continue picturing Jesus at the cross, the imperishable becoming perishable, the immortal becoming mortal, God becoming man in order to die for all of mankind. 
That news does something for those who receive it in faith. After this verse that says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, the next verse says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Labor as the stage crew for the Lord, knowing that it isn't in vain. Let your prayer requests be made known. Trust the scriptures that say you don't have you don't have because you don't ask. But also know that just because you prayed for it doesn't mean God will grant you exactly what you ask. God only answers prayers in his timing and according to his will, which is why prayer is more about aligning us with the will of God than it is aligning us or aligning him to our will. Trust that God is good and that he's working out all things. He's answering your prayers for your good. Believe that. Receive that as we continue to focus on Jesus at the cross and what he was willing to do to redeem us and to visit with us. Rest in that as your feet are guided into the way of peace. So let's take a moment. I want you to come down and get the elements. Come back to your seat. I want to give you some space to just reflect on the goodness of Jesus and what he has accomplished for us at the foot of the cross.